dressed proudly in yellow and black with matching headscarves, a group of indigenous Garufana community members take centre stage in the heart of New York City. They're here to celebrate but also warn that time is running out for their endangered language and culture. More on that in a moment, but 2019 has been designated the International Year of Indigenous Languages at the UN. And most of the ancient mother tongues which are rapidly dying out are doing so quietly and without fanfare, far from the big city, says the founder of the Endangered Language Alliance, Daniel Kaufman. So people are forced into cities, into factories, into you know, other kinds of uh, labour and therefore disconnected from their villages, from their cultures and languages. So it's uh, definitely a pathway to linguistic extinction. Welcome to The Lid Is On, our podcast series that takes you inside the UN through powerful personal stories from around the world. I'm Matt Wells. The UN estimates that 40% of the world's 6,700 or so languages are in danger of disappearing, most of them spoken by indigenous peoples. Although the UN's determined to highlight the value of language as essential to individual identity, cultural history and memory throughout 2019 and as a huge strategic resource in the global fight against climate change and sustainable development, it's national and local governments that need to act before it's too late, says Daniel Kaufman. Governments uh, would much rather support a, a, a small language program and give people the feeling that they're supporting their culture rather than do something difficult like land reform and uh, really support autonomy in, in a more significant way. But if, if we want the languages to live on, we really do have to support autonomy for indigenous people and let them live in, in a way that, that can really uh, sustain and, and make the languages grow. So it's appropriate for the UN's host city, perhaps the greatest linguistic melting pot of all, that New York City Hall is the venue tonight for a celebration of Garufana heritage, just one of the endangered languages that's been protected and hopefully incubated today. Let's find out a bit more about Garufana and what this gathering tells us about whether there's much appetite here to keep diverse languages alive. Um, the preservation of the Garufana language is our utmost and most important important task right now because our youth they assimilate to other cultures and languages so it's a battle to get it going but the elders they are fluent so um, we're here today to show ourselves as Garifuna I'm dressed in my full Garifuna outfit <laughs> to come and represent you know my people and I hope that um, by others seeing what we are doing, that they'll um, become more interested in speaking the language. Everybody should be preserving their language. You know, us Garinago people, we are indigenous. And United Nations, you know, UNESCO, because of UNESCO coming in to help us preserve our language, I believe that we will continue to speak Garifuna. In English, it says, I for you, you for me. 
in Garifuna, he says, Aobun Buguya no. So that helps us to keep each other, you know, together. Now let me tell you about the things we eat of food. When I was young or small, what we ate was tortilla. Garufuna is native to Central America, but it's rooted in Caribbean islands such as St. Vincent and the Grenadines to the east. The language you've just heard is from what is now Mexico. I'll let Maximilian explain. I am Maximiliano Bazan. I'm a mystic. I come from the state of Guerrero, Mexico. Just tell me what you're working on here today in the uh, ELA uh, office. Trying to translate uh, the mystic language to English. Spanish, the Spanish word, or is there also a mistake word for We use Spanish. This race came in at a, at a later time. Yes, correct. The Endangered Language Alliance, or ELA for short, is based in the heart of downtown Manhattan, and many of the city's estimated 800 spoken languages are in danger of simply dying out. Some of the most in peril have just a few speakers left. Daniel Kaufman and his researchers who are patiently trying to preserve dying languages for posterity in these cramped offices, believe they have an ethical responsibility to try and keep them alive. Uh, my name is Daniel Kaufman. I'm the co-director of the Endangered Language Alliance. And here we are at our headquarters on 18th Street in Manhattan, New York. A linguistic laboratory. Yes, I don't know if it's a laboratory, but it's a, a center for people to... Uh, record their languages, to study languages, also to hold classes for languages that aren't taught anywhere else. I mean, do you think New York City is probably the kind of biggest repository of you know, different languages, endangered languages of any, of any urban area in the world? Is it a, or would that be too much? No, I don't think it's too much. I think it's uh, true, actually, because New York uh, has a kind of unique position in terms of migration. It, it is... Uh, has extremely even immigration from all parts of the world, which really makes it different from most other global cities. We found over the last uh, few decades especially that many speakers of endangered languages have been immigrating here, and uh, the immigration itself is actually endangering the languages. In what way? Well, in some cases, like uh, the person who you just spoke to, Max, in the Mixteco-speaking area of Guerrero and Oaxaca in, uh, in Mexico, it's been hit so hard by uh, agricultural problems uh, and political problems, economic problems, that whole villages have been emptied out. So there's many villages where there's you know, no young people anymore. They all are forced to immigrate either to Mex Mexico City or the United States. So a lot of the factors that are putting pressure on indigenous people around the world are also putting pressure on their languages and, and the number of people who are speaking them today. Yes, uh, absolutely. There's, uh, it's now extremely difficult to survive uh, as people once did, right? So there's no more animals to hunt. The, fi the streams and rivers are polluted. Uh, people need to pay taxes and pay tuition for their children to go to school. They have to enter the cash economy. So all of that forces people out of their traditional livelihood. In Mexico, for instance, NAFTA uh, and other policies uh, basically destroyed indigenous agriculture that had been you know, sustainable for thousands of years. So people are forced into cities, into factories, into you know, other kinds of uh, labor, and um, 
therefore disconnected from their villages, from their cultures and languages. So it's uh, definitely a pathway to, to linguistic extinction. But uh, the real work that has to be done to keep these languages alive is, uh, are in the villages and towns throughout the world that are under this kind of pressure I described. Uh, UN headquarters is just a mile or so up the road from here. I mean, mm. what, what's your view on, on the UN's role in, in trying to save languages, such as uh, the, the languages that you're working on down here in the laboratory? <laughs> Uh, well, of course, as a language person, I, I would really support any organization uh, that lends its resources to, to supporting languages. Um, but there's also a bit of a danger, I think, uh, because when we look at language, we really have to see language death as a symptom of other uh, social problems. It's not the root cause. It's a symptom of a, a loss of autonomy and the loss of uh, the, the ability to, to, to live in, in people's traditional you know, ways. So there's a bit of a danger, as I said, because I feel like if, if it's a, it's almost, it, can be, it can be a distraction or a decoy in some sense, because governments uh, would much rather support a, a, a small language program and give people the feeling that they're supporting their culture rather than do something difficult like land reform and uh, really support autonomy in, in a more significant way. But if, if we want the languages to live on, we really do have to support autonomy for indigenous people and uh, let them live in, in, in a way that, that can really uh, sustain and, and make the languages grow. So land reform is the focus of this indigenous forum at the UN. That's going to be a long and complex battle, isn't it, to get meaningful reform through in all the various countries where indigenous people live at present. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the number one problem, I think, and it's, it's the most serious problem, and it's, in a way, the root of all other problems, because when the land is, uh, when people are forced off the land, or even when the, the land simply uh, becomes destroyed because of you know, failed uh, agricultural practices that were forced on the people, or failed economic practices, as, as happened in, in Mexico, then uh, you have massive out-migration, and you have uh, the loss of culture and language because of uh, immigration. So we're kind of dealing with the last uh, stages of that. We're dealing with people who have been forced off their land for various reasons. And so, you know, these, all these wonderful speakers like Max who, who come here, um, you know, they should really, they're not here for fun. You know, they, they didn't come here because they, they love skyscrapers. It's not a hobby. It's not a hobby, no. They're here because they were forced to come here um, through, you know, things that were beyond their... Displacement. Control. Yes, displacement through economic policy, basically. So that's the root of the problem as I see it. If, if those issues can be addressed, then people will... will um, live their lives as their parents did and it doesn't mean that they have to live the way they did 500 years ago or, or 200 years ago but uh, th they can be free to maintain their languages and cultures. I mean you're hopeful that, that, that we, can, uh, we can reverse the tide though? Yes, I think it's completely possible and uh, it's just a matter of, of how much um, the governments and uh, to whatever extent the UN can can force governments to to comply, uh, 
it's, it's to what extent those governments can support indigenous people. And uh, we've seen it happen, you know, even in Mexico, we can compare the situation of, say, Chiapas uh, to the situation in Guerrero, where Max is from. And in Chiapas, there was a popular uprising, and, and language and culture was a big part of that. And they, they took matters into their own hands. And you could see that they, they made a, a small uh, society for themselves where the language thrived, where they had uh, community libraries. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, you f find other places like Guerrero where people uh, did not organize in that way and uh, have been forced off the land because of all the reasons I mentioned, and, and things have gone in a, in a different direction. I think we, we can find plenty of positive examples to emulate. It's just a matter of do, do the governments and the politicians in power want to make significant change or not. The thing I would really hate to see is, is for there to be... Uh, you know, just cosmetic uh, changes like, uh, you know, sure, we'll support a little language program or sure, we'll, we'll allow your language to be put in the schools once a week or for two hours or four hours a week. And then it gives people a false sense of security. Well, now our language is in school and the government feels great and they can say, look, look what all we're, we're doing. We're supporting languages. But in fact, that's that's a that's a death sentence for languages right? because um, it makes the community feel like uh, they, they have some measure of safety when in fact it's, that's not enough at all. So I've come uptown now to one of New York's acclaimed universities, Columbia. As part of the UN Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, side events taking place here called Mother Tongues. It's a, a book fair basically celebrating works by indigenous authors. It was due to be happening outside in one of the historic plazas on the campus here but unfortunately, rainy weather has forced us all indoors. My name is Tari Angeles, and my language is Cuicateco uh, from Oaxaca State, Mexico. My name is Alejandra Luis, and I speak Zapoteco from Oaxaca, Mexico. So how important is it um, to have your languages written down? Is this one of the key things that's going to, that's going to help to preserve your languages going into the future? To, to be producing your, your languages in terms of books and other written material? Yeah, like a newspaper. One of the more important things for me is because my language, it's uh, no more people talking like maybe 30% in my area. That's why we're trying to look in other ways we can share and we can uh, preserve our language. So having it written down is really important. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And the same for you? Yes, the same because in Oaxaca they don't have more schools but, but like bilingual schools like Spanish and the Zapoteco or something. They don't have it. We have but um, they don't make like materials for for kids and they So how endangered are your languages? Right now childless they don't talk anymore. Even the people like when my age they don't speak anymore Cuicateco. Just like people very old. Do you know how many speakers there are left who, who use the language every day? Is that possible to tell? 2010, people uh, from the area Cuicateco, we are like uh, maybe 13,000 people. They still talking Cuicateco, less than they have population. And how about your language? Is it yeah. just a question of a few thousand? Yeah, I think, well, uh, we have like towns and they don't speak anymore, six or why are so few people now speaking? Why, why has it not been handed down from the generations, your language, you think? Because uh, first is everything, you know, came into the towns, all the new things. Uh, people are just moving the, away. The technology, people, they more interested. Like young people, they don't care about, they 
So they use Spanish on their phones and, and they don't care anymore whether they continue to speak the mother language? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, just Spanish, even Same. in school. Is it about people leaving the community and going off to the cities? And yes, yes, that, that's why I think that that is the principle. Aha, the principle is immigration of all or the other migration. Yes, yeah. migration. One of the other reasons uh, it is because of the discrimination and at the big cities. If you speak, you speak or you look like indigenous, of course they put you down. So people just want to get on, and, and therefore they just forget about their yeah. their village languages. Yes. Yeah. Right. So why is it so important to keep the languages alive? What For would you me, say? For me, because the, the mother um, tongue is of my first language. And this is like uh, my uh, identity. So if you lose the language, you lose a part of yourself. Yeah, that's, a, that's my roots. For me, Zapoteco is like um, the so special idiom that you can connect with, uh, with the grandmother, with um, mother heart. If we lost it, I think we we are lost. It sounds like it's a spiritual connection almost. Yeah, yeah, language, course, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the other way too. The, the other thing happened in our, in our towns, the big uh, companies, mining is... Uh, they, they're moving in, taking the land, and they pushing change. people off. Yeah. Yes. Are you hopeful that your language will be saved? That it, that it, that it will survive? Or are you feeling, mm, maybe not? Maybe not. A downbeat assessment at the end there, but Alejandra and Tadi are optimistic about the fact that this year the UN will be putting indigenous languages like theirs, with only a few thousand speakers left, firmly in the spotlight, urging governments to do more beyond feel-good gestures. For me it's very important, specifically because Cuicateco is not a it's not really big population they still speaking. And uh, yeah, I, I hope I, I cannot be there. What kind of help do you want the UN to give you more of? What, what kind of things can the UN do to help keep your language alive, do you think? First, I, we want to they listen to us. We're still alive and we need to preserve our roots. What kind of practical things can the UN do? Help you with uh, printing books and um, mm. making sure that young people learn the language in classrooms? What can they do? Make sure that the young people, they can start, but it's not, has to be a lot of work. It's not going to be tomorrow. We have to still fighting for that. I think that they need to just speak with the governments to keep uh, important, right? The UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development provide the framework, but more actions needed to stop the disappearance of irreplaceable fragments of human history and memory in the form of the spoken and written word. Well, you can find out more about the International Year by going to un.org forward slash development forward slash DESA or DESA forward slash indigenous peoples, that's one word. I'm Matt Wells, and thanks for listening to this multilingual edition of our Lid is On podcast from UN News.